Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. A few months ago, God said to me to start this Kingdom Economic Series. I don't start themes just to teach a particular topic. I wait upon the Lord and hear God. And like I've said, although we've termed Kingdom Economics, within it, you get a broad range of themes that come forth or issues that came forth. Like last week, the issue of guarding your mind came forth strongly within the series. Kept, kept captivating every thought that is contrary to the knowledge of God and bringing it to obedience to Christ. Right? And God literally said this to me, you now have the authority to teach it. You now have the authority to teach it. And I want to encourage you, there's been tremendous um, uh, testimonies coming through. But I want to encourage you, it's going to require your compliance. It's going to require your obedience. Amen? It's going to require your obedience. So I want to encourage you, there's great grace available now for the series. I want to continue just quickly, I won't be an hour or so with the principle that we started teaching last week. The principle was give truthfully, and as a case study, we looked at Ananias and Sapphira, who were judged because they gave, not because they did not give. They gave and they died, because they gave inaccurately. They gave with false motivation. They gave with false representation. They gave in the culture of lying. They lied to the Holy Ghost. They lied to Peter. And they lied to the congregation. They dishonored the Lord. They dishonored the servant of the Lord, Peter, and the apostles. And they disesteemed or dishonored the corporate culture from which they emanated. Your giving can either honor God or dishonor Him. Your giving can either Honor the servants of the Lord who are the representations of God in your midst or it can dishonor them. And your giving can either betray the body of Christ to which you belong or your giving can honor. So never ever divorce what you do in your giving as only individualistic and private to you because it has a bearing either positively or negatively upon the context or the culture from which you emanate. Okay, and I'll prove that to you variously a little bit today, but more so in future sessions. Do not think that we're teaching just on money. Do not say this is kingdom economics. Oh, they're talking about money. No, it's not. Right? The, king, the, the, the reformation of Martin Luther restored to the body of Christ. The principle of the just shall live by faith. Salvation is not by works. And every other reformer, even prior to Luther, I love what Dr. Segi says. There were other reformers dribbling all the while before Luther. Luther just scored the goal. But there was a setup for him to discover that truth in other persons who reformed theology up to Luther. Luther scored the goal. And even beyond Luther, others came up and started to bring reformation or accuracy to specific aspects of biblical truth. The reformation hasn't stopped. Tell someone the reformation hasn't stopped. 
God is reforming His church. We're not, he's not only reviving His church. You see, some people thrive on revival, which is a strong move of God, characterized by great moves of the Spirit, and that is biblical and true. But most often, if you track the history of it, it peaks, and then it ebbs, and most often dies out. Because the revival did that transform to reformation. The reformation is not a cosmetic overhaul of the church. It's not external to make the church look beautiful in terms of applying cosmetics. It's about getting into the internal structure of the church by which it is uh, structured and by what it believes. So it's, a, it's, it's orthopedic. An orthopedic surgeon is not interested in cosmetics. An orthopedic surgeon is interested in bone structure to break your bones, to reset them, so that you can function effectively in life. The Greek word for reformation is diothosis, from which we get the English word orthopedic. God is not primarily reviving the church in the present season. He is reforming the church, so that the church, when He breaks revival upon the church, the church can sustain the revival. Because internally, in terms of form and structure, belief, and particularly doctrine, the church has come to a place of accuracy. Now, people want every other matter reformed. Our view of faith, our view of leadership, our view of church structure, etc. But when it comes to your view and your responses and how you perceive of money within the kingdom of God, people say, don't touch that domain, that's sacred. The moment, the moment you start to speak about issues relative to finance, it's like every demon from hell rears its head. Right? You know why? There's nothing opposite to God. God has no rival. God is unparalleled. He's unequaled by any other external foe or deity or principle. The only thing that can rival his position from Jesus' mind, Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and money. And last time I said to you that mammon is an evil principality. Pastor Thamo, in his sessions, if you listen to it, Say that mammon is literally the personification of Satan himself, where he would like to infect humanity with his principles, and he most often would do it by inculcating a particular response and approach that people have to money. So mammon will, will enslave you by influencing your mindset about money. Okay? And Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You'll hate the one, love the other, or be devoted to the one and, and despise the other. You can't straddle two positions on this, on this issue. You can't do both God and mammon. It's either the one or the other. So if you say, God, I want to serve you and not money, then you've got to make certain, biblically, I have to discover what principles are there in God's word that help me bring my life Back to financial accuracy. Bring reformation. I'm not interested in a cosmetic overhaul of finances. I don't want revival to my finances. I want reformation to my finances. Yeah? I want it structured. I want it ordered back to biblical order. Okay? And that is what we want. Because in it, money is like the litmus test. Your approach to money. God, God wants to be Lord of all. Well, not Lord at all. He wants to be Lord of every domain 
of your life, including your wallet, including your bank account. People struggle over the 10%. And I'll share my view on the doctrine of the tithe later on. But I say, if you, if, if you consider that, if, you, if your view is that tithing is not relative to the new covenant or applicable to the new covenant, I'll say, no problem, hold that view, although I don't believe that, hold that view, but then demonstrate to me that if you say we're not in law, we're in grace, then show me how grace gives. Because if grace is superior to law, then your giving under grace should be superior to what the law prescribes under law. Most people will oppose the, the legitimacy of the tithe for the modern day, give less than 10%. But if you claim grace, then display grace. Yeah? Jesus said, you have heard that it was said of all time. Right? Do not uh, commit murder. That's the law. But I tell you now, uh, John says, if you hate your brother, you are murderer in your heart. What the law prescribed as physical murder, John elevates the principle to a hatred in your heart is already, is already murder. Jesus in the old covenant said, if you commit adultery, you, you're guilty. You've heard that it was said, you committed adultery. But in the new covenant, he says, if you even as much as lust after a woman in your heart, you're already guilty of the fact. So everything raises in the new covenant, but you're able to obey in the new covenant a higher standard because of grace. Grace allows you to be obedient to that higher dimension. Yeah? So, but I'm getting off the topic here. Let me get back to my message. <laughs> getting sidetracked. Hallelujah. Everyone say reformation to finances. Get your act together as soon as possible. For in it, if you get your, your life financially right, there's a whole world of other spiritual blessings that are going to open up to you. I guarantee you. And uh, I'll share this with you later on. So we read in Acts chapter 3, and Ananias and Sapphira sold a plot of land, and they brought the proceeds of the sale um, to lay it at the apostles' feet after Barnabas did it. Barnabas did the same. He had a tract of land which he sold, and he brought the entirety of the proceeds of the sale to the apostles' feet, symbolically indicating, I want to move financially. Feet means purpose, movement, mobility. I want to move the purposes of God by my offering. So offerings are always born out of revelation as to the purposes of God. Offerings by themselves are never, never um, to be administrated outside of revelation. Remember, when did Jacob commit to tithe? When? When did he say, of everything God you give me, surely I will give 10%. When did he make that statement? What did he see before that? He saw a vision of a ladder from the earth reaching the top of the heavens. The Lord at the top of the heavens, angels are ascending and descending. Angels are messengers carrying the message of God, a representation of spiritual fathering or, or leadership. Presence of the Lord overwhelmed him in the place. He even said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And the Bible says he feared, for he knew it not. When he woke from the dream, he named the place Beth-El. What does Beth-El mean? House of God. He says, this is the house of God, comma, the gate of heaven. The 
house of God is the gate of heaven. Then he says, God, if you be with me, keep me wherever I go. Surely whatever you give to me, surely I will give you 10%. I will commit to tithe. And this was outside of the law. This was before Moses. I will commit, I will give you 10%. But his commitment to tithe was born out of a strong revelation of what the house of God represented to him. When you realize what you have in the family of God, that this is the place where heaven touches earth. This is the place where a ladder connects two realms. This is the place where God has put messengers in your midst, angels that can and ascend and get resources in the heavens, come down and give you the word of the Lord. This is the place where the manifest presence of God can be felt. This presence of the Lord is here, he says. When you realize all this, you'll have no problems taking your money out and say, I will honor this. I don't know how else to honor this. Money becomes a very, very powerful medium to demonstrate commitment and honor. You can sing all you want to. I honor you in my worship. Lord, I honor you in song. I honor you. But Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your substance. Right? Money is a very powerful methodology or medium by which you demonstrate spiritual commitment. Right? And now, in the context of the early church, excuse me, in the context of the early church here, Ananias, or rather, Barnabas gives 100%, not a tithe. He sells the land, and he takes the whole proceeds. You know, I long to do that. God must answer my prayer. I said, Lord, I'm waiting to give a significant offering. Come on, tell someone, trust God for a significant offering. There are offerings that move God. And yes, I know absolute amounts are not so important as relative sums are. But I want to encourage you, amounts do matter to God, right? And I'll show you verses to that effect later on in the series. Don't just say it's my heart, the amount doesn't matter. Amounts do matter to God, right? And I'm trusting God that God said to me, Randolph, I'm going to give you the capacity to make a significant offering, and you must obey me when I permit you to do that. Don't count the cost, but make it. There's something that moves heaven when these things that cost you everything obeyed. Barnabas sold everything and I demonstrated to you please you must listen to last week's message if you've, if you've missed it I took the time to demonstrate in Barnabas' life. He gave financially at the feet of the apostles to move or to facilitate apostolic work in his day in the life of the early church and next God moved him. God moved him from a Levite the apostles rename him renature him refunctioning when they named him you are you're barnabas no more joseph what does barnabas mean son of and who encourages in fivefold gifts or in in the gifts of the spirit prophets and the prophetic gift does he will prophesize must seek to edify exhort and comfort so if the prophets if prophets seek to edify exhort and comfort barnabas when he's named barnabas it's not just a renaming it's a redirecting for function so they literally installed by impartation within him the capacity to prophesy. And, 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 he, and he, his trajectory, he, he grows exponentially into his destiny. Literally, right? Escalating into his calling as a prophet. And Acts 13 opens. And now there was at the church at Antioch certain what? Prophets and teachers among whom were Saul, Barnabas, Lucius, Niger, and, and the other guy. 
right? So he was a prophet by then. But by Acts 14, 4, Acts 14, 14, he's described as an apostle. What happened to the man? How can a man move so powerfully into destiny? He honored God with his money. He chose to say, God, I will put you first. In the domain of finances, in that area which you said biblically is the only area that can rival your place in my life, I will demonstrate to you that in that same area, I will put you first. Listen to me carefully. Some of you didn't hear that. Barnabas is saying to his psych, self-talk, the area which is finances or mammon, which is the area that is the only potential, or not the only, one of the most powerful potentials to rival your position in my life, I demonstrate to you that you are first there. That's why I believe in first fruits. We'll talk about that later. I'll put you first. I'll demonstrate to you, God, my dependence is not on earthly natural systems. My eye is not on my work. My work is not my source. Tell your neighbor, your work is not your source. Your job is not your source. Your skill sets are not your source. God is your source. But God has graciously given you a good job, graciously given you skills and talent in the workplace. And when you are remunerated for that and you get the money, your, your heart is, God, see how you've blessed me. I love what Pastor Thamo said one day. He said, when you come and you give offerings to the Lord or your tithes to the Lord, you literally are declaring something. You're saying, God, or when you do your EFT, your heart must say, God, see how you have blessed me. See what you have done. Now I honor you as the source of all my productivity, all my profit, all my success, everything I attribute to you. I put you first financially. Putting God first financially is one of the most classic ways in which we seek the kingdom first. Tell your neighbor, put him first. And what does the Bible say? Seek ye first the, the kingdom. And what happens after that? Every other thing will be added to you. Every other thing will be added to you. Ananias and Sapphira, by the way, see this whole thing play out with Barnabas. Wow, check this guy out. And notice the context previously is also that everybody was doing the same thing, selling land, selling possessions, getting money, and besides placing money at the feet of the apostles, in Acts, there's also another expression of giving. And that giving was giving to each other to alleviate needs within the house. If you read Acts chapter 4, not so? I'll talk about that later on in the series. But I just want to mention it now for the record. There were two expressions of giving. There was giving to each other and there was giving to spiritual leadership at their feet to mobilize the purposes of God in their day. The Bible says, as they gave to each other, nobody lacked among the group. And there was no overt grave need within their midst. Then it says this, and great grace was upon them. Come on, say great grace. Great. A great grace was upon them all. And with power, the apostles gave witness of the, or testimony of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now after all that, that's how chapter 4 ends, right? Then it says, and a man... Ananias and, and his wife Sapphira had a plot of land, sold it, but did not bring the whole proceeds of the sale to the feet of the apostles. They kept back. Everyone say kept back. Kept back in the Greek, I told you, is no, no, no fees or my, which means to sequestrate, which implies stealing, a purloining, or 
uh, covert, clandestine, surreptitious. It's not over, it's not in your face, it's not observable. It's underneath the table. They're pulling the money back to themselves. No problem with that. But don't do that and then make as if what you are presenting is the total proceeds of the sale. I don't think God would have judged them if they said, Lord, we're selling this property, half is yours, we're keeping half. And if they were upfront with Peter, we sold the property, but this is 50%. But their sin is, they lied in that they presented the proceeds of the sale as though it was the, the full amount. So when they do that to Peter, Peter, the first thing Peter says, well, Ananias comes in. I presume Sapphira is hitting the malls already. She can't even wait to come in and offer. She's already eating the streets. Right? She's eating, she's at Pav, she's at everywhere. He comes in alone and he, and you know what Peter says to him? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the, the Holy Ghost? You have not lied to men, he says. You're not lying to me. There's a God in heaven that sees you. When you administrate finances, do not impress men. Come on, tell someone, do not impress men. I don't know how serious this is to my, this is very close to my heart now. You do not, your motivation is not to impress Randolph, not to impress Renee, not even to impress your spouse. If you are not being honest toward God, you are not lying to men, you are lying to God. It's you and God, it's you and God with no other man. Be true in your heart and be true to God. Come on, tell someone it's you and God financially. I can't. You know, Jesus, the Bible said, the first lesson we did in the series, one of the first ones was he sat against the treasury and he observed how each one gave. It's you, Jesus, and nobody else. And he brings an appraisal, an estimation, an assessment to your giving based upon his view. You see, what you give, we keep records of. The church management system does. There's, there's natural and there's EFT electronic records. And at the end of the year, we do an assessment. But your name and your amount could be there reflected as X amount. But that, that record might not be a true reflection of how heaven records your giving. Yeah? My thing is, I don't want to appear, uh, let me use my example. I tithe to Pastor Thamo. Personally, we do. The church tithes corporately every month. And every year, we give a first fruit personally and a first fruit corporately. When I do that, my concern is, oh, I don't want my father in the Lord. I want to see, I want him to see my obedience. Ooh, I'm tithing. Ooh, Randolph's a good son. He's tithing. That's no way in my thinking. My thinking is God. I honor you, God, but represent in the man that you put over me. I honor you, represent in the man. So I honor the man. So Peter says, you have not lied to men. You have lied to God. But listen carefully. The ease with which you lie to God is grounded on this principle that the, the subtext is this. Peter is saying, you fail to see God in me. You fail to consider the fact, Ananias, that we as your leaders are the representations of God in your life. Right? And the, you know what the Bible says? And he fell down. Oops. I won't do it completely. <laughs> he fell down and he died. He was not judged because he did not give. He was judged because he gave. Because he gave inaccurately, hypocritically, with a lying spirit, with false motivation. 
What does his name mean? Amazing. Full of grace. God is gracious. Him to whom God is gracious. Anna, like Hannah, Hannah Mill, all the Hannahs in the Bible. Anything Anna or Hannah is grace for your information. Like Anna, Hannah, all full of grace. So listen carefully. You know what when I was thinking? I prepared the next three or four sessions on the plane for three and a half hours coming back from Da to Johannesburg. I was locked in, honestly. I was like capsuled by the Lord. Bernard sent me a text before I left. He says, please, rest on the plane. I was thinking of you. I said, if Bernard could see me now. <laughs> there was no rest. I literally was captivated by God. And I typed for three and a half hours nonstop. Scripture, God was showing me. God was, was, God was revealing certain things to me. One of the things the Lord said to me, I, I meditated for about half an hour. I said, Lord, why did you kill the poor man? Why is so, so such heavy judgment to a man that's giving? Surely he should have been gracious. I mean, I mean, there must have been some there that weren't giving. At least kill them. <laughs> I killed a man that's giving. Right? You see, God hates lies. God hates hypocrisy. It's like a stench in his nostrils. God said to me, secondly, this was the early in the history of the church. The church manifested in Acts 2. Notice my terminology, manifested in Acts 2. The church was always internally in the heart of God before time began. The church wasn't born in Acts 2. The church was born before history began. The church was simply manifested in Acts 2. Right? The church, and there was great 3,000 souls getting saved, 5,000 souls getting saved. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Right? You get all these powerful things happening. Sharing, generosity. And there was great joy in their midst. Wow, and boom, somebody dies. Acts 5, early days. God, what an antithesis to the story. What an abrupt uh, uh, inclusion of such a negative, a negative event in something so glorious. God said to me, because I want to snuff out hypocrisy and lies at the incipient stages of every new season. When the season is still relatively new, you see, if God doesn't permit, if God doesn't snuff out the thing in its infancy, the thing grows to formidability as the season progresses. And you will see this, as it's true to the nature of God in, in a lot of other scriptures. Like in, um, when the tabernacle was completed, remember, and dedicated, this is the tabernacle in the wilderness, and Aaron... The high priest, his two sons, Nadab and Abihu. Remember Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire to the Lord. They offered strange fire to the Lord and the Lord killed the boys. You know what? Aaron was not permitted to mourn. Read the text. God said, you will not cry for them. I have dealt with them. It's hard to function as a high priest. You could not be emotionally attached to people. You better be attached to the principle of God. If the people violate the principle of God, you can't be emotionally mourning their death. God says to them, I forbid you to mourn. I have dealt with them. You see, the, the tabernacle had just been completed, and here's the first offering, and it's strange fire. That's another teaching altogether. It needs two old sessions. What is strange fire? I won't go there now. But God judged the boys. You see, there was early days of tabernacle experience. 
What was the first city to be conquered in, Pal- in the conquest of Canaan? Come on, talk to me. Jericho. And didn't someone die in that? Who died? Achan. Why did he die? He kept back. God said to them, take the city, but don't touch anything. The spoil of Jericho was to be used in the devotion or the worship of God eventually. It calls it the devoted things. Don't touch the devoted things. Jericho was a prosperous city, but Achan, bound by covetousness, and please I want to encourage you, I will deal with covetousness in a special session. Covetousness is going to rob you of your inheritance. Materialism, the desire for things, can be so strong in a man's life that the the desire to accrue, to get unto yourself materialistically, or to covet what another has so you can be seen, can be so strong it can cause you to violate spiritual principle relative to giving and honoring God financially. Pastor Thamo said something one, one year that really smote my heart. He said, he was wanting to go on holiday that particular year, but he canceled the whole trip because it would have impacted his ability to honor the Lord with his first fruit. Everyone say priority. Right? Priority. Right? So I want to encourage you, put God first financially. Okay. I haven't started yet, by the way. Ish. Let me get to my notes so I can stick to them. There's so much here. The Lord said to me, I want to snuff out lies and hypocrisy relative to giving. Mrs. Ananias, Sapphira, has hit the malls. She's probably spending the other half, right? She doesn't know her husband has just died. So the young men take him out and they bury him. Then she comes in, not so? Not knowing what transpired. Everyone's just mum keeping quiet. This is a powerful church. <laughs> Shouldn't someone at the door say, hey, be careful here. Before you go to these guys, be careful. And um, Peter said to her, did you sell this, the land for such and such a price? And she says, yes. He, he said something similar to her. You've lying against the Holy Ghost. So the young men that buried your husband, they're waiting for you at the door. That's what he said to her. And as he said those words, she fell down, died, and they took her out and they, and they, and they buried her. Just quickly, I've got two main thoughts I want to leave with you before we dismiss. The Bible says initially that when Ananias, if you can put this text up, Acts 5 verse 2, that when Ananias withheld back parts of the proceeds of the sale, and he represented the offering as though it were the total proceeds, thus lying to Peter, the Lord, and disesteeming the corporate culture. I'll talk about why I say he disesteemed the corporate culture in a few weeks' time. Two weeks from now. That's, a, that's too, too much to start now. When he brought the money, the Bible says he kept back some of the price for him. I told you he kept back his sick was straight in the, in the Greek. With his wife's full knowledge. Everyone say, with his wife's full knowledge. Now, Mrs. Ananias, Sapphira, how can you endorse your husband's inaccuracy? Surely there are two of you there. One of you should have been discerning enough to say, honey, I think we're going on the wrong path here. Now, 
Can two walk together unless they be agreed? For it's bad when you agree to do the wrong thing. Right? I want to encourage spouses, husbands, and wives to check each other about your financial obedience. Yeah? We must check each other. Two are better than one, so there should be double checks. That let's honor the Lord. Let's do the right thing. Young people, marry someone that honors God financially. Court someone that honors God financially. You will never establish something in your marriage that you haven't established in your courtship. There's some young people courting here, those desiring to courting. I want to encourage you, the moment you start courting, encourage each other in the Lord. Listen, if we have a future together, we're going to be blessed financially. Let's start installing principles now in our lives. Let's put the thing right now. So we don't have one spouse supporting the other spouse's disobedience later on. Right? The spousal disobedience must not be endorsed by the other spouse. It must be corrected. Now we had a powerful demonstration today from Mark. Remember Moses? How, did, how many years did God take to prepare him, by the way? 80 years. 40 years under Pharaoh in Egyptian courts as a prince. He kills a guy. He balegas. He has to run. He's exiled to where? In the wilderness under, what's his name? Jethro, who becomes his father-in-law for the next 40 years. How many years is that? Okay, he sees the burning bush, everything. God says, go, you're going to be my deliverer to my people. So the guy's ready. He's going back to deliver and to confront Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, now let the people of God go. And the Bible says, as he goes back, the Lord met him to kill him. Hmm, these verses are scared. I don't know why the Lord talking about killing verses today. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. People, you must know the whole counsel of God. Yeah? Uh, people love the image of Jesus with a lamb. You know that picture? With a lamb on his back in a field looking at the lamb. Wow, serene, lovely Jesus. But you find very few pictures of him with a whip. Portraits on people's wombs. Whipping people out. Bringing reformation and correction to inaccuracy. Yeah? So Moses, and the Bible says, why did God kill, want to kill Moses? Now, I'm thinking, God, are you sure you're doing the right thing here? You're going to waste 80 years. Who else are you going to raise up and take the time to prepare for another 80 years? God says, I have the time. He doesn't. I live in eternity. I live outside of time. They don't have the time. I have all the time in the world. I can raise up somebody else. Listen, you are not indispensable to God's purposes. If you don't toe the line, God will raise up another. And you know what God meant to kill him? The Bible says he forgot to circumcise his two boys. He had two sons. What was circumcision? According to Abraham, Abraham instituted it as a sign of the covenant between God and men. So if you can't circumcise your own household, how can you liberate the house of God? Yeah? If you fail to cut away flesh, carnality, foreskin, the cutting away of the flesh in circumcision is symbolically indicative of cutting away carnality, the sinful nature, things that are displeasing to God. If you cannot do that domestically within your own house, how can you deliver my firstborn son, Israel, from Egyptian bondage? Okay? But thank God for the bird that Mark mentioned. Zipporah? Her name means bird, eh? 
You know the root, I, I, it's amazing you mentioned this. I studied this, I got it in my notes here. It means little bird, a sparrow, a zipporah. And it means to chirp. Chip, 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 Right? Isn't that typical of wives? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> hey, Lord, please, brother, help me. I'm going home today. <laughs> Thank God I have a forgiving wife. Thank God she chirped. She came, chip, 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 chip. You are a bloody husband to me. That's what the Bible says. She wasn't swearing, huh? Blood, she means I cut the boy's foreskin. My hands are full of blood. She took the foreskins of their penis and she threw it at his feet. She said to him, you are a bloody husband to me. Chip, chip, chip. She chirped about the right things. If you are going to chirp, chirp about accuracy. If you are going to chip, 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 chip. If, and this, this goes both ways, eh? Not just for husbands. If your wife is disobedient, then husbands practice the spiritual chirp. Right? Bring your wife back to order. Never see your wife going down or your, or your husband along the path of disobedience and you stand by, it says, with full knowledge and you expect to, when judgment falls, to stand outside of the repercussions of that act. You in your husband and wife, if, the, if one disobeys God, the one that obeys is absolved from any judgment of God Per se. But because you are one flesh, God sees you as one. You, although you haven't disobeyed specifically privately, you will have to endure the repercussions of your disobedient spouse's actions. Yeah? If I kill somebody today, guess what? Will God judge Rene? But if I go to prison, who is brought into bearing the consequences of my actions? The, the, the repercussions fall on both world scenarios, environments change for both. Yeah. Abigail, just let me use one example. Gee, time is really racing. I have a few examples here, but Abigail is my most powerful. I like this girl so much. She would eventually become one of David's wives. David knows how to get a spouse into his world that's able to keep him on the on, the, on the, the true path. So many times I've said to Renee, you've been my salvation. And I say that publicly. And many times if it wasn't for this girl, I would have been gone, honestly. I say that publicly. If it wasn't for her, and a cheap, cheap, chirp, chirp. As the man of God that I am, the Moses that I am, if it wasn't for strategic interventions at specific times, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. So thank God for a spouse that corrects another spouse. Yeah? If you're taking notes, it's 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now, listen, it's a long story here. I don't, it'll take, if I read the whole chapter, it'll take too long, but you must read it. I'll just relay the account to you, but please read this. It's the account of Nabal. Everyone say Nabal. Huh? Nabal. He was a wealthy man. He was married to Abigail. Abigail, the Bible says, was beautiful. Right? She was Abigail. Beautiful girl. And the Bible says, extremely intelligent. But you know, Abigail, please, sister, with all your beauty and with all your intelligence, you marry a fool. The word Nabal means fool. 
One who lacks a spiritual brain. A fool is one that like, lacks intelligence. Now the word fool spiritually is he will lack spiritual intelligence. Remember Jesus walking in Luke 24 with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? He said, he said to them, you fool. Jesus said, you fools. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. He's literally saying, you, may, you might be intelligent with so many things in life. But when it comes to things of the spirit, you lack intelligence. Don't know what to do. What is the right thing to do? So let me just the story in short. I'm going to leave out a whole lot of details here because of time. But the story in short is this. Um, he had huge amounts of livestock. He was extremely wealthy. Nabal was. David at this time was on the run from Saul. And um, misunderstood by most people in his day. Nabal was, Nabal's sharers of the sheep. And those of his men of his house were scattered all over the countryside, tending his livestock. David, while he was a fugitive, took it upon himself to offer them protection, the men of, of, of Nabal, protection and security. And also, like other bandits of his day, David did not use his strength to impoverish them or to take advantage of them. But he was very kind to them. David and his men got very, very hungry and thirsty. So they sent word by one of the servants to Nabal to say, refresh your servants. You know, help us. Give us some, some refreshments. And David actually said this. Um, we haven't touched any of your livestock. We've actually protected your men. So won't you return? Be kind to us and return the favor by you know, helping a brother out here. Hard times, right? Help us out. Now, I'm trying to find the answer that first, first Samuel 25, the answer that Nabal gave to David. Verse 9. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words of David in David's name. Then they waited. They waited for the answer. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, now this is Nabal's answer to the servants of David sent for, to request food. Okay, Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Who does this brute think he is? Right? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today, each breaking away from his master. He broke away from Saul. So he's saying, David, you are breakaway, bro. You're breaking away from master. You have no legitimacy. Right? Didn't know that God's hand was on, on David. Okay? Verse 11. Then... Shall I take my bread, my water, my meat that I have slaughtered from my shearers, give it to men whose origin I don't even know? So David's young men retracted their way and went back and they came and told him all these words. Verse 13, David said to his men, each of you gird up. David's angry now. David said, warfare guys, swords on. I'm going to sort this guy out once and for, for all. Each of you gird up your sword, each man gird upon his sword. David also, he was also prepared to go, girded on his sword about 400 men, and they went up behind David. Check the battle, right? While 200 stayed with the baggage, 600 men David had, right? But one of the young men told Abigail. So one of the young men informs the wife of Nabal, Abigail, saying, Behold, David sends messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he has scorned them. 
What does Abigail do? Yet the report goes, yet the men were very good to us, and they were, we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about them. And we were in the fields. They were a wall to us. Notice what the men say concerning how David's treatment of Nabal's men. What was David to Nabal's men? Like a wall to us. I'm dying to this. You've got to draw reference to Revelation 21. The city of the living God has got protected walls. There's a place of immunity and protection within the economy of God. It's an apostolic principle. But everyone say walls. What is David? David's a wall. What's a wall? Protection, preservation, immunity. Right? It can be everybody else can be experiencing uh, famine and disastrous effects all around you. But you better make certain you are walled. You have immunity. I'll talk more to that later on. What verse are we in? 16. They were war to us both day and night, and the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore, no one consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Imagine. Even the servants say about their master neighbor, no one can talk to this guy. He's such a worthless fool. No one can reason with him that be kind, at least be kind to David. The, be kind to the principle that protects you. Show honor, show esteem to the resident spiritual principle that God put in your life to function as a wall around you, to prevent evil from befalling you. I know the Lord is our strength. I know that the Lord is our wall. I know God is our protection. But if you don't know the biblical principle that He does protect by installing leaders within your life, that you must honor, respect, and submit to. And don't disesteem them and say, Who are you, David? Who are you, son of Jesse? Everybody's breaking away these days. Where do you come from? Spiritual intelligence gone. That's, a, that's the dimension of the fool. Tell you never don't be the fool in the season. I appeal to you, brethren. God is going to bring about such calamity on the earth. Those that are accurately aligned will be preserved. But you need to be located in a culture. He sends help from out of Zion. The corporate community of the saints of God. Okay? Come on, I, I just hear the burden of the Lord. Tell someone, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool now. Not, no, not now. Not now. You can't afford to make a mistake now. No fool now. And you know what the Bible says? Uh, verse 18. This is where I really want to go. Listen carefully. Abigail, I like this girl. Just like Zipporah. She realized, Mo, you will meet your Moses today. <laughs> she says, God is intending to kill you, but unless the spouse. You know what? Zipporah is like a, yes, God. You, know, you read the text. It's amazing. And the Lord went down to meet Moses to kill him. But Zipporah. She says, stepped in. Come on. Tell your spouse, step in the gap. Abigail hurried. Everyone say hurry. She Notice what this girl did. She took 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five sheep already prepared, five measures of roasted grain, and 200 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes, figs, and loaded them on the, on the donkeys. Five years of roasted grain is a symbolic gesture of grace. Five, the number of grace. She said to her young men, Go before me. Behold, I'm coming after you. 
but she did not tell her husband Nabal because he wouldn't approve of what she's doing. When a husband or wife blatantly disobeys and disregards a biblical principle, in that matter, the wife particularly has got every biblical basis not to be submitted to the husband in that respect. Then the higher law kicks in. You can say to your husband, hubby, I love you, but I love God and his principles more. In this relationship, you are the head of the household, but the Bible says, let every soul be subject to the higher authority. The higher authority in this matter is not you, but God's principles. I urge you, my hubby, I urge you, my wife, let's walk together on this path. I urge you, let's come together on this path and let heaven open over us. But if not, I'm going to have to be compelled to be more loyal to God than to you. And in doing so, my wife or my husband, this is for your salvation. Hmm? That's the principle. This is for your salvation. Then, verse 20. Okay, we're rounding up. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain. Behold, David and his men were coming down to water. And so she met him. David's already on the warpath, coming to do battle. David, David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all this man has in the wilderness, and nothing was missed that belonged to him. But he has returned me evil for my good. David said to Abigail, this is verse 32. Go to verse 32. I'm going to jump because of time. So she offers the offering, like a peace offering to David. David's heart is softened. He said, thank God for you. Otherwise, he says, there would not have been a male left in all of Nabal's house. Everybody was going to die today. If you, listen carefully, if you, Abigail, did not step in, the memory of your husband and his entire legacy would have been wiped off the plate of the face of the planet. Thank God that you stepped in. So David's heart, he is taken aback by this woman. He says, wow, what a lady. Verse 32, David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment. I like this. Come on, tell someone, be discerning. Blessed be your discernment. And blessed be you, who have kept me this day from bloodshed, from avenging myself of my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me. You won't say quickly. Unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. David received her from her hand, what she had brought, and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you, and have I granted your request. God kills Nabal personally later after this. His sickness, illness, and he dies. And Abigail, the Bible says, later on would meet David. And David saw her. The Bible says David loved her. And she became David's wife. I like David's thinking. He says, wow, this is the kind of technology I want in my home. This is the kind of woman I want right next to me. If she was able to avert bloodshed to a fool, how much more of what benefit would she be to along in my courts? The protector of man. You know, the long and short of this is obedience. Everyone say obedience. Come on, say it again, obedience. 
I wanted to share about the young men, but time won't permit. The Lord unpacked to me a whole revelation of why did the young men bury Ananias and Sapphira. Who wants to know about that? Come back in two weeks. Because next week the youth is taking the service. I'll tell you it's a powerful revelation. You're going to be hugely blessed. The apostles did not perform funerals in their day. Young men buried people. The young men extracted that principle from the house. And they buried it never to see it again. There are certain things our young people must learn now. Must learn now. And extract aspects of disobedience. And bury it once and for all. Our children must never struggle the way we struggled. Right? We, if they are Goliaths, we must kill Goliaths in our day and don't leave those giants for our children to face one day. There are certain things you have to resolve in your day. And I'm saying there's an anointing here this morning. I felt it in the plane. Although I haven't shared most of what I intended to share this morning. But I felt it in the plane, the Lord saying, I'm going to give every domestic household in this context, whether you are here with your husband or wife, or whether you are a single parent and you are here, even if you're not married, I want you to enter this economy, enter this, this grace. The Lord's saying, I'm going to bless you so profoundly. But I need to extract every residual expression of financial disobedience out from the house, out from, out from your thinking. God says, just put me to the test and see what I will do within the midst of you. See what I will do within the midst of you. Barnabas gave and went forward, hugely. Ananias gave in Sapphira, and they retreated, never to recover again. Completely taken off the scene of time, outside of God's purposes, having no contribution to divine things like Barnabas would do. Because eventually Barnabas would become the tag partner of Saul in the New Testament. And they would go on the whole first missionary journey. And Barnabas would spend one year at the church at Antioch when it was founded. The Bible says he came down and they greatly encouraged the believers to remain true to the Lord. You see all these powerful things about the man. And you trace it back. What did this man do with such significance that bore such relevance and, and moved the heart of God in the heavens? God says, you, you, know, you know who else did this? I'm just thinking now. Cornelius. Yeah? Cornelius, two things impressed God about the man. Number one, his prayer life. Number two, how the man gave. God says, your prayer and your giving have come up before me and as a memorial. In other words, I, I can try to forget you, but I can't. Your giving is a memorial. Memorial always keeps you in mind of the person. Like the Nelson Mandela Memorial. You go there, you think of Nelson, you can never forget him. God says of Cornelius, your giving has come up before me like a memorial. And I want to encourage you. Many of you have been faithful over the years. The Lord has not forgotten your diligence. The Lord has not forgotten your faithfulness. God in the season is going to bless us usually. But today, as a house, we're going to say, especially households, we're going to say, God, my, my entire house, when it comes to my house, my financial world will be in accuracy before you. If you come to see the flow of my finances, the flow of my finances will give evidence that truly I have honored you and I've put you first. And I know the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and brings no sorrow is going to be our portion. Amen. Lift your hands to him and we pray. Thank you, Father.
Oh, God. Well, Father, we just thank you. We're overwhelmed by you. Love your word. Love your people. Love your purposes. It's our highest ambition to do your will in the earth. We're teaching these things at your bidding. I've taught these things at your command. And I've done everything at your word. Now I ask that you, by the power of your spirit, and by the grace that is yours, that you sovereignly would bring signs and wonders to accompany the preaching and the teaching of this word in the life of every person, I pray. Every single family, every single domestic unit, I decree today in the realm of the Spirit, I decree that you are blessed by the Lord. I call a blessing to rest upon your union. Even if your spouse doesn't know the Lord and you're a single parent, I, I, I call, I, I confer upon you the capacity to cover your spouse, to protect, to prevent judgment. I confer upon you that grace, that authority. The Lord will look upon you, your intervention. The Lord would say, you have stayed my hand from judgment. Blessing be upon you in Jesus' name. But we're lifting up our hands to you, Father, to say, more than ever before, we want to be accurately committed to every financial principle of your word. We want to put you first in everything. So we lift up our hands today to say, give us the courage and the grace to obey. Give us the ability because left to ourselves in our own strength, it's so hard, it's so difficult. But by your grace, so grace be upon you, church, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Great grace and peace be your portion. Even you young people, as young as you are, I confer grace upon you to obey God financially in every respect in the name of the Lord. You will be an Elon Beth Hanan, again in the spirit. An oak of the house of grace from which resource can flow freely in and through to fulfill God's financial purposes. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, we love you. We bless you. Come on, just thank the Lord. Lift up your voice. Just thank the Lord that is His grace. Come on, just respond to Him. Say, thank you, Father, that my house will be blessed. Come on, thank Him. Father's here. Thank Him that you're going to leave an inheritance for your kids. I don't care what is your financial situation. Spouses here today, husbands, wives, thank God. Say, say, God, my means might not be great right now, but I want to tap into this grace. I want to leave an inheritance. I want to leave houses. If, if, if that is your will, I want, that's my desire. God, afford me the capacity. I want to do it, God. I want to slay Goliath in my time that my children will not have to deal with in their time. In the name of the Lord, I decree every giant Goliath slain that threatens your well-being that threatens your, the welfare of and the future of your kids in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Our young men will carry the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira from out of the house. Our young kids will be blessed. Our youth will be blessed in the name of the Lord. They will be among the most strongest people we've known in our history. They will be among the most wealthiest, the administrators of kingdom resource. They will be that in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Amen.